Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. The ties that bind us, and we're talking about what is love, um, part two from last week. Uh, where you, we've got the phone on airplane mode, so um, if you've got your seat belt, belts fastened and you're ready to take off, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. And some of these verses are going to come up on the screen. I'll just read them from there, I think, because I've got a slightly different Bible version. So uh, last week we looked very much at 1 Corinthians 13, which is the very well-known passage about love and all the things that love is and love isn't. Um, is that... That's probably okay. Yeah, um, we'll we'll perhaps turn that off when when I when we don't need it because otherwise it's shining right in my eyes. So um, this is from one John chapter four, and uh, it simply says this: Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Thank you. And there's, there's three things in there, really, that I, I would like to bring out very simply. Um, and the first one is that love comes from God. All right, that's where it comes from. And the second thing is that actually, more than, not only does love come from God, but God is love. His very nature is love. And then the third one is that we have to know God if we want to love. Very simple. Because that's where love comes from. So it really boils down to knowing God. And uh, as Christians, we're all Christians here. Obviously, um, that's exactly what we, what we want to do. So we want to know God. We want to get to know him. Um, and that's probably our, our chief aim in life would be to get to know God so that we can love like he does. Now, the world thinks it knows all about love. And so, um, uh, particularly in our generation, I grew up in the 60s. And um, since then, I can remember being on a school bus, listening to Radio 1 playing, and listening to all these songs. And they're all about love. Almost every pop song. I don't know if it's still true, because I'm a bit out of touch. But uh, it seemed to me every song was about love. Uh, particularly, it's talking about the love uh, of the romantic love of a man and a woman or a boy and a girl. And so, um, particularly, I've had on my mind this week um, the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. All you need is love. Love is all you need. It's very, very simple. But actually, is it true? Well, it would be true if it was the right kind of love. And there's another song about the same time, um, Two, about two years earlier than that, actually, uh, which was, you, you'll probably all remember, um, what, the wor- what the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing that there's just too little of. And um, a good pub quiz question. Who knows who, who sung that song? I, I had to look it up. <laughs> it was Jackie DeShannon. I was thinking, thought if James was here, he might know that, but um, I wouldn't have known that without looking it up. So that's the world's view of love, is that we need more love. That was the 60s. The question is, did it work? Is the world a better place because of all those love songs? Is the world a better place because the Beatles sang, all you need is love? 
Did the message get through? Apparently not, or it didn't work. Something went wrong somewhere. Um, so the problem is, I think, the world thinks it knows about love. We think we know about love. We think we know about God. But we have a disadvantage, and the disadvantage is we're human. So we start from a place where we think we know about these things, but we don't really, because we've got this limited world, this limited worldview that we live in. And um, I, the, the best analogy I, I have for this, and I apologize if, if you've heard me talk about this before, is my goldfish. So in my greenhouse, as some of you know, there's a pond. Uh, it's, it's like a brick area, a brick, brick pond, and that's where the goldfish live. And um, they live in this very little world. All they've got is four walls and then the water, water surface. If they, if they came out of that, they'd die. So that is their world. That's all they know. And they swim around and they, they eat the food that I give them. And I sometimes think, um, I wonder what the goldfish think about me. Who do they think I am? Because what happens is most of the time I'm not there. They don't know what I'm doing. They don't know what, what's going on, whether, what I'm having for breakfast, where I go to work. They don't know anything. They, they have this very limited insight. And then every, every so often I come in and there's a shadow that comes over the, the, the pond. And I give them some food and they all come up and go, mm, 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 like that, and eat the food. And then, I, then I'm off again. And um, it's, it's, that's how I, I like to think of us in relation to God. That we, we live in this, this world which is much, much more diverse and um, complex than the goldfish live in. But God's in another realm altogether because God is spirit. And so he is in another realm which we can, uh, we can begin to identify with as Christians. But without the Holy Spirit, we are ignorant. We are completely lost. We are completely uh, just on our own in the universe. And we need God to teach us about himself. So knowing God is something we can't just generate out of ourselves. We're at God's mercy. There's a verse I read in Psalms this week, which I've never seen before. It's in Psalm 50, um, verse 21. I don't think it's on the screen, Ashley thinks, no. So it's just one, one phrase, and it's God speaking to the wicked, and he says, you thought I was exactly like you. That's God's comment to the wicked. You thought that I was like you. And he's not. God is not like us. Now, we're made in the image of God. So in some sense, we're like God. In some sense, we have some of his characteristics. But God's not like us. He's, he's way above us. He's different from us. And his motivations are different from ours. And if we want to know, if, uh, if we want to know the love of God, we have to get to know him and find out what he's really like. And then we can begin to receive his love and to let it work through us. So we come to knowing God from a disadvantage. But even then, when we come to knowing ourselves, we're also at the same disadvantage. And we think, well, you might think, well, surely, you know, I, okay, maybe I don't know about God. because, As it says in this, that passage we just read a bit further on, it says, God, no one's seen God. He's invisible. 
But when it comes to being human, we think we know. We think, well, surely I know about being human. I know what it is to be a man or a woman because that's my whole experience. But even there, actually, we find because of what's happened, because of sin, because of the fall, because of the corruption that's in the whole of the world, even when it comes to being human, we're not qualified to really uh, be very discerning about it. And so we find even in that area, we need teaching, we need helping. And the only real human being that ever lived, of course, was Jesus Christ. And that's why he came. So he came to show us what it really means to be human, what it really means to be uh, what God created without imperfection. And it's true of love as well. So even in this area of love, now if you ask any teen teenager who's just fallen in love, they think they just invented it. They think no one ever knew about this before. Uh, but then as you get older, you find that older people fall in love too. And it's not a unique thing just for young people. This is something that's somehow built into us. And so we think we know. And I, uh, I really do recommend reading the book I referred to last week, which is C.S. Lewis's book called The Four Loves. It's, uh, it's quite hard in places, but it's also very insightful. And so he talks about these three natural human loves. And uh, one of them is called eros, which is erotic or romantic, really, love, which has with it the sexual components as well that you have in a, in a perfect marriage relationship. Um, so that's, that's, that's one of the aspects of love that we think, well, surely we know about that because we've all got experience of that. The problem is that all of these human loves, whether it be um, romantic love, friendship love, or family love, they're all open to going wrong. And we don't have to look very far before we find that they do go wrong. And so we've all got experience of where the perfect relationship, apparently, has gone wrong, and they've separated. Or family has been broken up and children have been damaged because it's gone wrong. Or in the area of friendship, love. A friendship's a good thing. Um, but if we're talking about bringing friendship into our experience in the church, we need to be careful because friendships can be good, but they can also become exclusive. And so friendships can form little circles where if you're not in that circle, you're outside and you're kind of subtly not welcome. And that happens. And it's not good. And then even with family love, you think family love, you know, the love of a mother for her child, the love of a brother for his brother or his sister. That's the, the, the filio, Greek word, love that's in the Bible. But even there, even there, that can go wrong. You think, what could possibly go wrong? Well, let me just read you a little extract from the, from the book, because I found this really um, helpful, and it's, uh, it's quite amusing, really. It's about Mrs. Fidget. And if you've ever read this book by Sue Lewis, you'll remember Mrs. Fidget. 
He says, I'm thinking of Mrs. Fidget, who died a few months ago. It is really astonishing how her family have brightened up. The drawn look has gone from her husband's face. He begins to be able to laugh. The younger boy, whom I always thought an embittered, peevish little creature, turns out to be quite human. The older, which was hardly ever at home except when he was in bed, is nearly always there now and has begun to reorganise the garden. The girl who was always supposed to be delicate, though I never found out what exactly the trouble was, now has riding lessons, which were once out of the question. She dances all night and plays any amount of tennis. Even the dog, who was never allowed out except on a lead, is now a well-known member of the lamppost club in their road. Mrs Fidget very often said that she lived for her family, and it was not untrue. Everyone in the neighbourhood knew it. She lives for her family, they said. What a wife and mother. She did all the washing. True, she did it badly. And they could have afforded to send it out to laundry, and they frequently begged her not to do it. But she did. There was always a hot lunch for anyone who was at home, and always a hot meal at night, even in midsummer. They implored her not to provide this. They protested, almost with tears, that they liked cold meals. It made no difference. She was living for her family. She always sat up to welcome you if you were out late at night. Two or three in the morning made no odds. You would always find the frail, pale, weary face awaiting you like a silent accusation, which means, of course, you couldn't, with any decency, go out very often. For Mrs Fidget, as she so often said, would work her fingers to the bone for her family. They couldn't stop her, nor could they, being decent people, quite sit still and watch her do it. They had to help. As for the dear dog, it was to her, she said, just like one of the children. It was, in fact, as like one of them as she could make it. But since it had no scruples, it got on rather better than they did. And though vetted and dieted and guarded within an inch of its life, it contrived sometimes to reach the dustbin or the dog next door. The vicar says Mrs Fidget is now at rest. Let us hope she is. Which is what's quite certain is that her family are. That's, that's someone who needs to be needed. And so even family love, which you think, well, surely that's, that's not going to go wrong. Even that does go wrong and becomes so that family members feel they've got to get away from it. They've got to depart. <coughs> so that's the human, the natural loves. That's, they're built into us, really. So nobody teaches a mother how to love her child. It's just there. It's just innate. And friendships arise because we have similar interests and romantic love we talk about falling in love don't we and even that phrase falling in love it's like it's happened by accident it's just there and uh, God has put these things in us he's created us with these but they're not enough and so in the church when when the, the bible says love one another it's talking about something more than just what's there. If it was left to us, we would probably fall out quite quickly. Um, you wouldn't put up with me very long if you didn't have God, I'm sure. You'd, you'd soon become fed up with me. 
Uh, and, <clears throat> and, and likewise, because we all have our faults. But when John says, love one another, for love is from God, the key is, is that phrase, for it comes from God. And that's where we need to find it. So the question arises, can we actually believe? Do we actually believe that God is love? Now, you might say, well, that's a silly question. We're Christians. Of course we believe that God is love. But do you believe that God is love? Sometimes it's hard. You know, when things happen, tragedies happen, it's hard to believe that God is love. And who hasn't known tragedy? We all know tragedy. Some of us are in the middle of it now. For some of us, it will happen in the future. But is God love? That's, that's the challenge for us, to say, yes, I will believe in the God that I can't see, and I will believe that he's good and that he's loving, and that's his nature. And um, I think that's something that, that we all have to face at different times. And the best place to read about that side of things is the book of Job, in my opinion, because Job went through the mill. He had an awful chain of events. And you can read about his arguments with God about it in the book of Job. There's a whole 42 chapters of the disasters at the beginning and then his arguments about why this has happened. Why has this happened? And in a sense, he doesn't really get any answers. But let's look what he says at the end of the book, because I think it's quite instructive for us to, to see what it says in, in uh, Job chapter 42. And uh, he's quoting God here. He says, you, you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? And Job says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And then we go on to the next bit. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is a man who's coming to know God. And as he comes to know God, he's coming to find that, in fact, God's not exactly how he thought he was. The world isn't exactly how he thought it was. There's another dimension to it that comes from knowing God. And if we just go to back to 1 Corinthians 13. We find the same thought there. So after Paul's talked about love, after he's been through all these qualities, you know, he says, love isn't rude. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's all these wonderful qualities that are so hard to fulfill. And then he ends the chapter by saying this, for we, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so Paul is acknowledging here that in order to understand the love of God, we have to know God. There's a knowing that's necessary. There's a knowing that God can give us. And that's why I would say, let's make that our life aim, our life ambition, to get to know God. There's no greater goal than that. Out of that will come all sorts of other things. We won't be idle. 
We won't just be sitting at home meditating about it, but it is a starting point. And whatever stage you're at in your Christian life, I would say, make it your own to get to know God. And we do that, of course, by reading his word, by spending time in prayer, meditation on him, asking him to speak to us and to lead us. And as we get to know him, what we get to know, in fact, is the love of God that surpasses knowledge, as it says in Ephesians. And that's the love, then, that will flow through us to each other. That's the love that will enable us, as his church, to live in harmony, to love one another, to overlook things that annoy us, to be generous where we're tempted to withdraw. And God will help us because he is love. That's his nature. And he will infuse us with that nature more and more as we seek him. Amen? Thank you. Let's just pray. Lord, we, we ask you, please, for this infusion of your very self, the divine nature, that we could be a people, uh, a supernatural people, people with more than just our own resources, people reaching out to each other and beyond us to the world with the love that you have demonstrated in the sacrifice of your son. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.